Hi everyone, I'm Josh. And I'm Jim. And this is the Dapper Meeple. This show is about our love of gaming, the games we play, and the gaming community around this passion. So pull up a chair, put on your Dapper Meeple hat, and join us at the table. Hey kids, remember, this is an adult podcast and may contain adult language. Also, Dapper Meeple hat not required. In this episode of the Dapper Meeple, I want you to be the wind beneath our wings with Wingspan. We'll also talk about what we've been up to, drinking games, completed Kickstarters, and who our perfect guest would be. All of that and more on this episode of the Dapper Meeple. What have you been keeping yourself busy with? Uh, let's see. So recently, actually, I have not been doing a lot of anything. I had a whole week off from work and did almost absolutely nothing. That's, um, I mean, it's impressive. Like, did we have plans? Did I screw something up? Uh, no, no, I don't think I, I think I intentionally made no plans. Oh, well, I mean, that was my plan was to have no plans. <laughs> I think when you are, when you're actually working and you're an adult and you have to do this stuff. I think there's just sometimes where you just need to do that. Like, I mean, even I think if you enjoy your job, which I don't think either one of us is doing our job because it's the calling that we have been brought to. You know what I'm saying? I think we're doing our jobs because they will give us more money than other people would in exchange for our time. Right, right. Yeah, yeah that's that's exactly. I mean, I did not wake up one day with an epiphany of wanting to be in retail. Right. I don't know if anyone ever does. I mean, I honestly believe that for a lot of people, they've been reincarnated, and this is just like the first level of hell, and they get stuck in retail. That's what I think. I can I see that after looking around some of the people at my store who have been there for so long. Like, why have you never left? <laughs> right. Are you stuck here? Should I call somebody? Do you, you need me to pray me. for you? It's okay. <laughs> Do you still have a soul? I mean, we did we did get together and we did play a couple games or a game. Yeah, we got together. That's um, so. I mean, we we did a little bit of stuff. Uh, I'm glad the table's finally finished. Yes, because um, it does look really good. So right. now we just got to play more games on it. Right. Like we now we've got the time, we've got the table, we've got chairs. I mean, really, at this point, it's all a matter of us planning, which is not our specialty. Right. 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 Um, the uh, my girlfriend, her best friend, and her husband had an anniversary this weekend, so they came over. Um, cause one, I wanted to show off the table and two, we were going to go out, um, to eat at Virginia beach over at the oceanfront. Uh, but we did sit down and we played some, uh, dungeon madness, which is a game I haven't broke out in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're not familiar, it is a game, uh, that was produced by, uh, wizards of the coast and it is a really easy to pick up fast paced kind of competitive card game. Uh, the first, uh, version of it or the, uh, originally it was, you had four different characters that you could choose from. And they weren't named, like they're not like in canon or anything. Um, and then the next day, and they released an expansion with two more characters, which was Minsk and Boo and Jahira. Because yep. Minsk and Boo is one character. You can't have one without the other. There are rules, people. <laughs> um, and then their final expansion was the Monster Madness set, where I think it's six different classic D&D monsters. And they've all been given like names because there's like a gelatinous cube in there named Blorp. And the mimic is Mimi Lachey. Um, so there's six more characters that you could choose from. And each set of cards and each set of powers that they do and the animations and stuff on them and the, the illustrations are all very much that character. Um, yeah. yeah, like Minsk and Boo, his like really strong attack that he gets is 
go for the eyes, boo, which yep. is awesome. And I have to do the voice every time I play it. <laughs> uh, so we got to break that out and play it. Um, I've been, uh, I get to, I've been like jonesing for some dice thrown, and I haven't got a chance to really pull that out with anybody yet. But that's on my to do list here real soon. Yeah, that's that's one of those classic games to break out every now and then. Uh, of course, we have Marvel Dice Throne backed, which hopefully that comes eventually sooner rather than later. Right. Um, so that's I, I I'm excited for that one. I'm excited for all things Marvel. Um, but that's definitely one that we'll have to break out and do a review on when it gets here. I am just checking it now. We did pledge. They've charged my card. That's the important part. Right? We're... <laughs> that, means, that means there were funds to cover the pledge. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's okay. Everything's fine. Uh, we're just waiting for them to ship it then. So that's uh, that's where we are with that. Yeah. So uh, we were going to have a guest on. Um Somebody that I've talked to uh, that's going to come on and uh, do a session with us, kind of back and forth on war gaming. We've talked before; it's kind of a, it's kind of an area that we're not really either one of us has really been um, introduced to and had a lot of experience with. So I figured I would find somebody that is really good at it and bring them on. Uh, things kind of got messed around, you know, how schedules go and stuff. So we're going to go ahead and record this, and you'll probably have another episode following behind uh, within a week or so. But I was thinking about it, and I was. I thought about who would be your perfect guest. I mean, that's, that's really tough. Um, Cause there are so many, so many people that I would like to talk to in both the um, like tabletop gaming world, as well as um, just like fantasy, like writers and things like that in general. Honestly, the one person who I'd probably, like to have on to kind of pick their brain and just kind of just kind of talk things is jeremy crawford oh yeah yeah i thought about him as one of my options yeah i mean because i've always said i mean if you don't know jeremy crawford has a master's of divinity um and then he went to become the lead rules designer at D. so i don't know about you but that screams a wonderful career path to me um and following fairly close to what my old life has been on trajectory (laughs) uh, just short of the working for wizards of the coast part uh yeah that would be fun to kind of pick his brain uh just about i mean all sorts of stuff because you you know like with his sage advice columns like the one question i would want to ask him would be do you ever get angry when people ask you oh, yes. questions <laughs> dude there are so many i see them pop up one and it's either somebody that just i, I like it doesn't actually make a sentence but he ends up translating it and answering a question i don't know if it was the original one or the ones that ask a question that is just so profoundly i hesitate to use the word dumb but it's harder for me to find another word yeah well i you see those responses like page whatever in the player's handbook (laughs) right it's just it's one line for him oh this could be but he does it so nicely like i read it in jeremy's voice and i hear oh well that could be found on page 198 of the player's handbook and i'm like how do you not lose your shit, man? <laughs> like, I, I picture, I, I, obviously, I've never met him in real life. The closest I've came to him was like 10 feet at PAX when he walked past us going into the convention center right. or into the, the expo hall, which I still hate that I didn't like. Stop him. Yeah, you know. But nonetheless, uh, I picture him being one of those type of people that have been in social situations where, like, he is very good at like not losing his shit on people. Right. Like he's done it enough and had to deal with enough people who just, 
Yeah. Like, this guy has practiced holding control. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, he's been the smartest guy in the room in a lot of places, and so <laughs> it's been one of those things. I could see that. Yeah. I could definitely see that. Man, and, and you, like, I was doing the same thing where there are just so many good options for somebody to just sit and talk with, like, the way that we do. Yeah. That would fit so well into our format. Um, I did think about Jeremy Crawford. I also considered my motherfucking best friend, uh, Keith Baker. Uh, he looks like he's kind of fun to talk to. Uh, as far as interviews and stuff go, standing in the line at Wild Bill Soda, he's great to talk to. Just in case anybody's wondering, <laughs> it's the ideal location. The idea really is. It really is. You can discuss games. You can discuss. You want some vanilla in your orange? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, a lot of good options. Black cherry still top of the list. Uh, so there's those, but I mean, there's also game designers out there and stuff that I would love to talk to. There's, um, you know, the guys from uh, Brotherwise Games, just. So many, like the Brothers Murph, even. Yeah, like other content creators, too. Like, I would love to talk with some of the Dice Tower guys at some point. Which, side note, I I never realized Tom Vassell was as tall as he was just watching him on screen. Like, that dude's huge. Um, Because we saw him at the first packs we went to. And, like, I'm pretty sure I could see him, like, above the booth, like, from the other side. Especially with his hat, because he always wears, like, the the big hats. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, all kinds of people like just people like that would be cool just to sit down and talk to, I mean, just to get their perspective on, I mean, cause yes, we don't do it at their scale by any means, but just to get like their side of like what they do and how they do it, like why they do the things they do. I think that would be cool. Yeah. I, uh, I think I finally settled on Kate <laughs> Welsh would be my perfect guest and uh, she could bring her husband along with her too. I'd be cool with that. Uh, he's an amazing artist, great guy. Seems like a really nice dude. But I mean, I've been a fan of hers for years. At our first packs, I actually had to meet and talk to her and stuff. And I was a little starstruck, uh, a little dumbfounded for the rest of the day. Um, but she seems like such a genuinely nice person. Everything you see on screen, everything you see in the videos, everything you see when she's running games and stuff, it like translates. Yeah. Um, that that's really who she is. Um, and she is incredibly intelligent, incredibly creative. The stuff that she's done, you know, even before Wizards of the Coast and now after it, um, you know, she's kind of moved on. But that creativity and that openness and that I think she was a big part of that group that's kind of ushered in gaming to more people. Like, yeah. bring everyone in. Uh, so definitely, I think that would probably be my my choice of guest. Yeah. You know who would be hilarious to have is Brennan Lee Mulligan. Oh, my God. <laughs> Uh, yeah yeah he again he is one of those people that just yeah like if i ever got the chance to sit at a table with him like to play with or or with him running it right like yeah i I mean that's that's one of those i mean with the way that the critical role fandom is like people want to sit at that table but yes critical role is great matt is a great dm but man like (laughs) I I tell you that I just I've watched several of his um you know um I actually I actually got the subscription to Dropout TV yep. just so I could watch a couple of them which yep. like best 6 bucks a month I ever spent um between that and the um actually game Oh my gosh I love that <laughs> Uh, yeah, definitely. I think, um, I think he may be my top choice for celebrity DM. If I don't know him or Deborah Ann Wall, I do like watching her run a Uh, game too. So it depends on the type of game I want. Right. I feel like what mood you're in. Yeah. If I'm looking for something that is a little, um, 
kind of a little more off the wall potential, like I'm going to go with Brendan Lee Mulligan. Although I will say his like the way he's able to capture emotion and stuff is very, very good. Like yeah. that is not he can discounting. Do a serious game. Yes, that is not discounting him at all. Um, but she definitely brings a little more of that um, kind of seriousness type of game to the table. Yeah. Um, again, not that she can't have fun with it and do it that way, but I, I feel like that's kind of their strong suits, you know. Uh, but both of them are are wonderful DMs, each in their own right. Though. Right. I hear that she has a new uh, a new show coming out somewhere, and I'll have to find the information on it. I just saw it pop up as a headline, and I missed it uh, yeah. when I was scrolling through stuff. But another game coming out where she's going to be running, uh, so I'll probably have a lot of celebrities showing up for that. Yeah, maybe maybe one day we'll have somebody that's like I don't know. I picture them as like A tier when it comes to tabletop gaming. Maybe we can have like a I don't know, like a Y tier. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we'll get there someday. How would you like to how would you like to come on the podcast with a couple of D list celebrities? <laughs> like I, I picture uh, I picture you know how the, the stops where uh, Guy Fieri has stopped by and done his diner driving to dives, they right, got like the right. big signs that say like Guy was here. Like one day if we ever have our own store, like if we get a visitor, we're gonna have like that up on the wall. Uh, all right, there was this barbecue place in North Carolina that had um, like pictures of all the different people who have been there, like like celebrity status type yeah, people. Yeah. yeah, I completely could see that's what we would do. Oh, I'll make that wall. <laughs> I will make that wall in our shop, guaranteed. Hey, other than that, I mean, we got some Kickstarter stuff coming home to roost, right? Um, we backed a uh, RPG. Jesus, it was about a year, year and a half ago. Yeah, it's been um, close to that. Yeah. Hey, man, COVID slowed everything down, uh, which is fine. But I just got a notification last week that it had shipped. So we should be seeing that here soon. And that was Coyote and Crow. Yep. And it is an RPG that is set in the Americas, but it's set in an alternate timeline where Europe never made it over here to kind of colonize America. So it grew from the uh, the indigenous tribes that were in North America. And now we're talking like future. So there's a lot of tech and a lot of tradition and spiritualism mixed in with it. It looked fantastic. But on top of that, the design team and the artists and the writers and the guys that were producing it, it is all um, people from like indigenous tribes in the United States. Yep. So a big shout out to those guys, um, you know, First Nation peoples who are putting this together. Um, it looked fantastic. Like I said, COVID slowed everything down. There was a couple of the notifications that you get from Kickstarter. It was like, hey, we really wanted to have this done by now, but we're still, you know, getting artists together and stuff. But, I mean, good on them for getting it done. Good on them for a successful campaign. And hopefully we'll get to see the fruits of that uh, on our doorstep here sooner rather than later. Yeah, that would look really exciting. And I loved both the kind of lore and the way they, they drew it kind of together, as well as, I mean, like you said, the fact that the whole team um was who who they were mm -hmm. like that's that's great to be able to bring that to the table because we we are obviously big fans of diversity across all sorts of gaming okay. so a, anytime we can kind of highlight and support that is something we want to do um the other game we have that hasn't shipped yet but hopefully soon um uh, is the heroes of arcadia oh yes yeah yes our our i <laughs> Not gonna lie, when you started with RPG, I wasn't sure exactly which one you were gonna talk about first, <laughs> uh, because it is also a sort of RPG that is also a drinking game. 
um, which I didn't realize how many drinking games there were until we saw all of them having booths at PAX. Right. There were, like, I swear there was one aisle while I walked down where it was like drinks and daggers and drinking with enemies and, you know, <laughs> drinking and dice. And I was like, wow, I feel like this is a whole new genre we're spawning here. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I feel like those things have always gone hand in hand. Um, one of the things, though, that every drinking game should include or should do is there all of the pieces in the game should be completely waterproof right i i don't know why this like I, this is one of the first ones that i saw that had done i think i've seen one more that kind of boasted about that too but you're right um with heroes of arcadia your character is represented by your pint glass and you can fill it to with whatever you like um but every time you take damage you take a drink uh, but we all know how things go and if you're going to have drinks on the table, it's almost inevitable that somebody's going to knock one of them over. The only question I have about the rules is, like, let's say you're playing and you forget you're actually playing a game and then you go and, like, take another drink. Does your character take damage or are you allowed to refill? Like, <laughs> this, Can I get temporary hit points? How does this work yeah, if I forget I, I'm what just, I'm doing? I'm just curious if, because, you know, after, it depends on how many lives you go through, I guess, but after a certain point, you probably get to a place where you're like man this drink is really nice <laughs> <laughs> i did really well on that margarita oh wait that's my hit points damn it yeah i guess we'll have to see when the book gets here yeah. um they haven't shipped yet but uh we did get a notification that they were charging us for shipping so that went through um <laughs> once again yeah bank account <laughs> But yeah, that's another one uh, I'm excited for. Of course, we have uh, Marvel Dicer, which we already mentioned, is in the pipe. Um, and of course, the Marvel Zombies campaign just wrapped up, uh, which you can still late pledge. I saw the button for that. So right. if you guys didn't hop on that one, uh, again, I, I can't stress enough how beautiful the sculpts look of the different characters and just the variety of characters you get. Even if you go base game pledge, the Kickstarter exclusives, they added over 70 characters. Right. It, it's going to be insane. Like, it's, it's, I, I don't know where we're going to put it when we get it. And we probably will never play through all the characters, but I'm going to try. Right. I'm going to do my best. But we're going to have to put a game group together solely to get through Marvel Zombies. I, and everyone knows that, come on, Kickstarters are like if you back them even if you don't like all the stuff you get you can turn around and sell it to somebody who i guarantee you wants it because they missed the kickstarter and you'll get more than what you paid for it back oh yeah, yeah. E easily but anyway that one is still out there if you want to late pledge that one uh they haven't opened up the um the back rate yet for it but that should be coming soon with the last update they put out so um yeah i i'm really enjoying um kind of getting the Kickstarters earning to roll in because uh, Kickstarter is one of those funny things where when you back it and you have to wait for a year, you kind of forget what you backed. Right. That's exactly the problem that I was having. <laughs> so hopefully now that we've backed a few, we'll have a steady stream of stuff coming in. Uh, I did watch, uh, that reminds me, I did watch a video one time about Kickstarter where a guy was complaining about the fact that he had forgotten about the Kickstarters that he'd ordered. And one day he showed up and he had like five of them at his door. 
and his wife or girlfriend, one of the two, was really upset because of all the money he spent on board games. And he was like, no, 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 babe. I spent this money last year. <laughs> no, no, no. This is different. Uh, it sounds to me like if it was a wife, he should divorce her. And if it was a girlfriend, I hope he has moved on to uh, a happier person. <laughs> it's all about priorities, really. Yeah, right? All right. Well, hey, that's what we've been up to. That's what's kept us busy in a way and... Yeah, I know we're late with this episode, too. Uh, so let's uh, roll into the rest of the show and uh, do some games we play. Next up on Games We Play, Wingspan. Designed by Elizabeth Hardgrave, with artwork by Anna Maria Martinez, Natalia Rojas, and Beth Sobel, and published by Stonemeyer Games. In this competitive, card-driven, engine-building game, you take on the role of an avid bird watcher and researcher. Your goal is to attract various birds to fill your three wildlife preserves and score you the most points. Each card represents a different bird with an individual score, an egg limit, and sometimes a special ability. You pay food in the form of five different kinds of food tokens to attract the birds, then you're free to add eggs and sometimes stack cards behind your birds for extra points. Gameplay happens over four rounds, where you will have multiple opportunities to gain food, lay eggs, or attract and play a new bird from over 170 beautifully illustrated cards. After four rounds, the scores are tallied and the burger with the highest score wins. This is a game that I see pop up in top 10 lists a lot. So apparently a lot of people really enjoy this game. And I think I was kind of hesitant to play it because I don't I don't give a shit about birds in general. Yeah, birds. Yeah. Right. Uh, I mean, yeah, we are very late to this game. Yeah, yeah very, yes. very late. Uh, this game, when it came out, was people were touting it as like the number one game for the year type of type of game. Uh, which, to be fair, we are late on a lot of Stonemire games. <laughs> I don't know what it is about Stonemire, but for some reason, we're just like we open one up. We're like, man, this is really nice. Look at the good card stock. This is the game plays well. Where, where have we been? Look at the trades with the components in them. Like it's just, it's wonderful. And then it sits on the shelf for another like however many months before we actually play it. So in this games we play segment, we are talking wingspan. Um, and like we said, this is something that we've just taken down off the shelf and uh, gave it a couple playthrough. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's been out for a while. It's been recommended by everybody that's, you know, out there playing games and telling you what they like. So we decided to break it out with a new table. Um, I think it was the first game played on the new table, just uh, so everybody knows. If anybody's keeping track. Yeah, if anybody's keeping track. <laughs> Um, and I, like, I gotta tell you, I really enjoyed it. Like, I wasn't expecting the game to be as much fun as what it was. Yeah, I, I really think the bird theme, uh, while it is original, I, I think for us, it was kind of one of those, I don't really want to play a game about birds, but when you start playing it, it's not really about the birds. It's not about the birds. The birds are a nice, they're a nice coating on top that gives you like, some cool art and some really cool facts about these random birds that 
you probably had no idea. Right. Unless you are an ornithologist. Right. Unless you're an actual birder out there. <laughs> a birder. That's the thing. I looked it up before we did the segment. <laughs> what do you call a bird watcher? And the options were a, a Twitter or a burger. That's what I got. So <laughs> correct me in the comments. I don't care. Uh, at least why in the comments. Uh, so anyway. <laughs> uh, but yeah. So this game is uh, very fun. Uh, we did the little opening segment on it. Uh, but it is basically an engine building game with a very cool theme on top of it. Right. Uh, I know they've come out with two expansions now uh, with more, even more birds and different color eggs. If, if that's really what you're looking for, definitely enjoyed this game. It was something that it was unexpectedly simple as well. Right. Uh, When you first open up the box and you start to pull all the components and the, the massive amount of cards, all the little tokens and all that stuff out, my first thought when I see a ton of components is always like, man, it's going to take me an hour to learn this game and then I'll have to watch a video and then I'll probably have to watch a second video because I didn't really understand the first video. But I mean, surprisingly, like we were able to pick it up pretty quickly. And I think uh, one of the components that we had in our box that really helped out was the that quick start. Yes. So that is something that should be if if you go out right now and you buy a retail copy of this game, that should be in your copy. Originally, it did not come with that. Oh, OK. Uh, that was in the second or third printing of it is when they started dropping that in. Right. Uh, yeah. But super helpful. It basically tells you um, it gives you a set of starting cards and like starting food and tells you exactly the turns to make or the plays to make for your first four turns. That's right. Um, which basically goes through your whole board and t- shows you what each action is. And I like it because every person's is a little different. You're not all taking the same action every round for the first four rounds. Like it does vary it in the way, like which action you're taking, which birds you have to play. All those are different. Um, so that, that was really cool. I, I really enjoyed that part of it. And it definitely, uh, it got it got you started, and it didn't really give anybody a leg up because we were playing with three people. Um, uh, like everybody, when you hit that fifth round, I I felt a lot more confident about what I was doing. Uh, it was a little bit more in tune with all the different actions and how the rounds work and things like that. And then, uh, like, I don't feel anybody was ahead on the fifth. Yeah, no, I because it it felt like they pretty much the starter birds were all the same, like from a points perspective. Yes. Um, so there wasn't really a uh, any bird or any specific spot that really gave that kind of leg up, at least from what I saw and felt like. Right. Um, it really mattered the ways that you, like the birds you picked after that and the ones, the way you filled out your, your board after that. Right. So as far as gameplay goes, what you're actually trying to do with this is you're attempting to draw birds to your sanctuary. You have three different areas to put them in. The forest, the grassland, and wetlands. And depending on what bird you draw, they will fit in one of those categories. Right. Some of the birds are, they can fit in multiple Multiple. habitats. um, But most of them have a specific habitat they belong in. Uh, Like, for instance, your ducks and other waterfowl normally fall into the wetlands habitat uh whereas 
like some of your predatory like hawks and stuff like that. Some of them are both in grasslands and some are forests, just right. depending, which is really cool that they took the time to actually figure out where these creatures kind of like belong. And I remember, I think it was one of the, I think it was a turkey. Pretty sure it was a turkey that could be either forest or grasslands, mm-hmm. uh, which, yep, it pretty it fits. Yep, that makes so, sense. Yeah. Uh, so I thought that was really cool. I like the facts that are on each card. Yes. Um, those are those are cool. Uh, it It's probably things you never knew about these birds. But in the gameplay, once you fit your birds in there, um, you take actions based on the different habitats. Sure. Um, so the forest habitat will gain you food depending on what space is open. And then after you activate the open space, you work back through the birds that you have on your board, activating their special abilities. Right. Which that could grant you extra food. It could grant you extra cards, which will in turn be extra points later on. Um, It could give you extra eggs. Drawing the birds, though, you have to have the right type of food to play a bird that you, a card that you have in your hand. And there were five different types of food. There was, what, grain, invertebrates, which we just called the worm because it was a worm, uh, fruits, rats. Yep, rats. And fish. Yep. And and it was kind of interesting because the birds, I mean, it made sense. Sparrows got, you know, you had to draw them in with grain where if you did have like a bird of prey, it was eating fish or rats or something. Yep. And you've got to pay those in to get the birds to lay into your habitat. I did really like how... Like you were talking about, like the forest was, you know, as you as you put more birds in there, you got more food, right. and the grasslands you got more um, eggs. The further you went, and the more cards you played, and then at the bottom, the wetlands were allowing you to draw more cards. Yeah, so you were kind of building it up, and that's what an engine building game should yep. do. Yep, and it's very. It's very clean. The iconography is very easy to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no like crazy rules. So one of the, my biggest gripes is when you have to have a book sitting next to you open all the time to see whatever this specific keyword means. Right. Like if, if the game has that many keywords, like obviously your first playthrough, yeah, like you might need the book just to clarify some things. But if you've played this game a few times, like, it, this everything in wingspan is very straightforward right now they do have a book that comes with it for like specific interactions with some birds and things like that which that's perfect i think having a book for like niche cases especially when you have as many cards as they have yes and the different kinds of birds that they have there are going to be those kind of weird interactions that pop up occasionally so something like that i'm all for But when a game requires me to constantly check up on like keywords or what, hey, what does that symbol mean? I, you know, that that becomes tiresome for me. Right. And I don't feel like that's a problem here. Not at all. Not at all. The the gameplay, it really felt smooth Um, and it kind of goes just pretty typical, like around the table order. Um, There was also on top of your just what you're doing on your board to score points, which is playing birds collecting eggs and uh, possibly stacking cards for extra points underneath uh, the card you have played. There's also a communal board that you can earn points from, which has two sides to it, which I really liked. One side is kind of simplified and not so competitive. Yep. Uh, you basically, whatever, whatever you end up taking, cause there's multiple tiles that could be 
uh, laid down there to determine what you, what the points are going to be for that round. Like whoever has the most eggs on a certain type of a bird with a certain type of nest could yeah. be this round. And next round, it could just be who has the most birds played, period. So that was cool because that keeps it dynamic. Um, but then the other side, you could flip it over where one side was just like, all right, you get the points. The other side was like, all right, who was on top? Well, they get the most points. And then it works its way down from there. Uh, so that was another kind of um, strategy that's into the game that you've got to think about. So I really, I liked how wide it was because you're going to score points by the birds you play. Yeah. You're going to score points by some of the eggs and stuff that you do on the board, but that's also another way to score some points. I will say one of the complaints that I have heard leveraged against this game is some, depending on how the shuffle goes, Mm -hmm. like sometimes you just do not get like birds that work with each other. Yeah. And I, I could see that being slightly problematic with the number of cars, but at the same time, and I, I will also say how quickly you kind of work through the cards because you don't really have access to a ton of cards unless you really go for that strategy. Right. Um, I I think in total, I probably saw I probably saw about 15 Maybe maybe twenty birds like in my hand in a playthrough, and I think I had the most cards in hand, right? Because uh, I had a funny little bird that like drew me like three cards every time I activated it. So, right, right. Uh, I mean, it, with situations like that, I could see that complaint being leveraged that there it's tough to get that. But I I don't know. At the same time, I feel like there's there's potential that to make strategy kind of work out of it. So do I. I, I think that's. I don't know. I feel like that may be a comment from somebody that may be like a super power gamer. Like, I'm going to find the best way to win all of the games. Because really, I mean, every time you shuffle that deck, it's it's chance what you're going to pull out of there. Yeah, I mean, it's very possible that that person was. But um, but yeah, overall, I think it's I, I think it has potential to where people are afraid to play it, especially non-gamers, um, just because of it looks like it's complicated. That's right. Yeah. yeah. When it, when it's on the table, it, it really does. There it looks like there's a lot of moving parts. Right. And a lot of things you got to kind of keep track of. But in reality, this game is fairly simple. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, I, I If I mean, it, going off of like complexity rating, like I would I wouldn't be surprised if this is above a three, like off of board game geek. But it's one of those games that even though there's a lot on the table, like what you are actually doing, because there's not really player interaction, or at least not a lot of it. Um, So it's mainly what are you doing on your board, uh, which I think also helps to simplify games a lot. I'm actually looking at Board Game Geek right now. One to five players. They weighted at a 244. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So that sounds good. So and like, as I said, you build you build and it's an engine building game. So everything you do builds into your next turn. Right. So you play a card in one of those one of your rows. And the next time you want to play something for that row, the next time like you want to draw food from the forest, you play the empty spot on your um, on your board and you get to draw whatever food it is. And as you go down, you get to draw more food. But then you take your piece, which is kind of your marker, and you go back. You work your way back through every bird you've already had. So when they have the special abilities, like you had, where you could draw cards. If you ate rats or something, is that what you had to roll rats? Uh, no, that was a different one. Okay. This one was, everybody got to draw a card, 
but I got to draw two cards. Right. And that was on the card drawing space. So, like, when I activated that space, I think I was drawing, like, five birds at some point. Right. Yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy. So, it just it builds on itself, and it was really good. Um, let's score it. Let's talk about uh, – let's get down to hard numbers because uh, that's real science, and there's no <laughs> funny business going on here. Uh, let's talk value. All right. So, let's see. Uh, MSRP of this game, $60. Now – that being said, uh, it's been out for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very possible to find it cheaper than that. Uh, I think I... I don't remember where I picked mine up from. Uh, but I, I seem to remember getting it for around the 45-ish dollar range. I was just in... I was in Target the other night, and I saw it there. And it was uh, $45, or might have been a little less than that. But yeah, that's right where you can pick it up for now. Yeah. Um, Price-wise, definitely, yeah. Th- this game is beautiful like i think it's got tons of replayability especially with the amount of birds that are in it uh i feel like you could probably play this game take out the birds that you saw like set them to the side and then play like two or three more times and still have birds oh yeah yeah birds are plenty yeah plenty of birds um so definitely just even for base game i think the value is excellent um it's just an overall great like right great game uh that i mean that price is sitting around like sitting around your mainstream board games right that's kind of where things have settled when it comes to like a really well published and designed board game right and this one is i mean it's an award-winning game it did win um the kenner Kenner spiel uh in 2019 yeah uh so value um i like i really feel like it's a good eight five uh, I think you're getting a lot for your money with this on top of replayability, which there's a lot. You're getting a really beautiful game. Like the illustrations are incredible. Yeah. You can actually order the art too. Yeah. Um, they have a link on Stonemire where you can, if you have a specific bird you like, you can actually request an art print from the artist, which is pretty cool. Um, but this is, I, I think 8.5 is good. I, I mean, there's a reason this game is so popular, right? Uh, it's just, it, it's well done. Yeah, it really is. Uh, let's talk components. So we've already talked, I mean, about the artwork. I mean, it really is fantastic. Uh, the birds do look gorgeous. Like they, yep. uh, they're very, they're done very realistic. Um, they're very distinct. Yes. Like they just all in all, like the birds you probably have seen in your life. You'd be like, yeah, that looks like that bird. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I know that bird. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, I mean, I as far as the artwork goes, like it's it's exceptional. It really yep. is, and I mean, just because it is a Stonemire game, you know the components are going to be gorgeous, right? the The rule books and the appendix that comes with it, the two books that we came pulled out of our box, yeah, like it, you can feel the, the like the quality of the paper stock. You know, when you touch paper and it's got texture to it, it's like the difference between like a piece of paper and a dollar bill. Like yeah. that type of difference that you feel there. That's that's really what it comes down to. Uh, I mean, the card stock is great. <laughs> the one thing I was not a huge fan of is the little like bird tower or birdhouse dice <laughs> i was just gonna bring up the bird tower so when you um <laughs> so to determine what kind of food is available they sent it's basically a dice tower yeah it's a little cardboard dice tower that you got to put together um and i'm not it's cute right yeah i mean could it be done better like if i had a 3d printer 
I would fix that problem right away. I mean, I guarantee you could probably find 18 different versions on Etsy right now. Yeah, yeah, easy. Um, um, it was cute, though, But you and you roll the food dice into it, and then it kind of, they all kind of come out in the tray, and that's your bird feeder. Like, I like the concept. I really yes, like the concept. I, I think the idea was great. Um, design, I think, might have fallen a little short. Um, one of my... One of my biggest problems with it is you loaded the dice from the back of it instead of the top. Yeah. And while that sounds like not a big deal, to make sure you don't drop the dice when you're trying to load it, it was, for me, it just felt like nerve wracking. And I don't know why it's not, our table's big enough, it's not like it would have hurt anything, but it was like. I just I, I, I felt like I almost had to put them in like one at a time. Like what? It just I, felt clumsy. Yeah. 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 I can get that. I can uh, get that. But other than that's really the only complaint. I mean, the thing comes with um, instructions on the side of the box of how to repack the game back into the box. I really liked that because that is one of my biggest problems in some of the games that we've played is once you get them all out and you take all the components, especially something like take Nemesis, for example, you pull all the parts out to it when you're done playing and like getting it back together is not really intuitive where this is yeah. like, no, no, no dummy. Put it here. Yeah. I like the intentional thought behind it. Yes. Yeah. Um, I feel like uh, a lot of time games, they plan out the way the box needs to be laid out and the way the inserts are when the game gets shipped. Yep. But the putting it back is usually not as well thought out. Right. Right. They don't really tell you about what they were thinking when they did it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but in, in this case, it does. And also, I mean, it even tells you how to put it in once you've assembled the bird feeder without having to disassemble it. Which is good. Yeah, which is, is very cool. Even though I'm not a big fan of the bird feeder, still cool. Right, right. Um, Until we find a replacement, we yeah. need it. So, um, what do you, do you, give it a score. Uh, I, I'm trying to think what is negative about the components. Really, there's the there's the bird feeder, and then there's the scoring sheets, which I just don't like. I've talked about that before with other games. Yeah, but I've always felt like scoring sheets are not really necessary. Yeah, right. But it just it annoys me. I don't know what it is. That's that's fair. Um, something about the tearaway pads. It is. It really just bothers me. Um. I, I really think, I, I mean, honestly, I think the negatives are really, they're not Minor. very negative. Yeah. They're, I mean, they're, they're no reason, it's not a reason for me to not want to, like, get this game. Yeah. Like, there are some games that do have components that are like, man, if these were better, I would love this game. But they don't really detract from the actual game. Fair. For yeah. me, anyway. Totally. So, I think I'd probably give it a solid nine in components. Yeah, that's what, you know. Like I said, I think we're nitpicking things to find something so we don't give a bunch of 10-0 ratings. Yeah. Um, so I, I think all I need is some little bird miniatures, and then it'd probably be a 10 for gold, me. Gold. Gold. <laughs> That's all I need is 170 more miniatures in my house. I'm pro- if there were a Kickstarter version, it would have come with like a first-player bird token, like like a miniature instead yes. of the actual token. Uh, but yeah, uh, definitely, I think, a 9 on components. Easy. Uh, so let's talk gameplay. It was smooth. That's the thing that I really like. You said it looks a little overwhelming when you first get everything because everybody's got their own board. Um, there's a little token around for who's going first. There's all the little wooden pieces that, for you to keep track of your moves. Uh, there's like two cups of little plastic eggs and they are plastic. They're not wood. I bit them to check. Uh, <laughs> that's the quality of reviews we bring here. <laughs> that's what we do. Leave no stone or egg unturned. 
Um, then there's like three trays full of like the little round tokens for the food. I mean, there's a lot on the table, but when you get going and like you said, um, it just, it works and it's smooth and it's easy to see what you're doing. Now there may be some little bit more advanced strategies involved. Like I said, we had three people playing and at the end of it, one of us was like, Oh, I didn't realize that I should play birds with higher scores on them, you know? So there's a lot to kind of keep up with, but I think that was a first playthrough kind of thing. Yeah. And I mean, she isn't, she isn't really a gamer per se, not what I would classify her as. So, I mean, some things like that, like we might take for granted, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah. And yeah, that's the kind of thing. I mean, but yeah, I agree. Gameplay was really smooth. Um, it was very, very easy to pick up and get going. And I can see how, like if all the players know what they're doing, mm-hmm. like this game can play pretty quickly. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. So. Um, I'm I would give it a solid nine or ten for play. Like I just there was no drawback during the play that I found. Nothing that threw me off. Um, nothing that was really confusing for me. Like it all made sense when you rolled into it. Yeah, I this is probably the first ten I'm going to give on gameplay. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just because of how clean it is. Yeah. Uh, there really wasn't, I mean, honestly, there wasn't a whole lot of questions that came up after we started playing, No, which I think is really a mark of a, a good, well, well-designed game. Yeah. Um, uh, is that there weren't um, outside of like normal small stuff, but there wasn't like major, we got to stop the game, search the rule book, like what goes on kind of thing. Right. Um, right. which I think is, is really helpful in a, a lighter game like this. Yeah. Uh, replayability. Um, I, you have 170 different birds. You like, there's a lot of chance and a lot of chance for replayability here. The communal board, you know, has like, what is it? Four different tiles that are double sided. Yeah. So you can shuffle those. I mean, there, there's a lot of major components to this game that there are a lot of them. Yeah. So I, I think there's plenty of replayability here. Uh, and you can tell, I mean, because I saw this game, even at PAX this year, like I saw this game being played multiple times mm-hmm. by different sets of people. Yeah, yeah. So obviously there's still a desire to play and show this game to new people, which, I mean, I do think it's a great game for that. So yeah, I definitely think there's tons of replayability here. I, I would probably say the one thing about it, I mean, obviously there are a bunch of different birds, but um, it, it, I think it would take a person who... Um, like is really focused on trying to figure out like the connections between the birds yeah um to get to a point where they like this is the game they want to play all the time right right um so i'd probably put it at i mean a solid like eight maybe 8.5 for replayability yeah that's kind of where I was, yeah um, there's but, definitely some synergy with some of the birds but i mean it's 170 different birds man oh yeah like, like if this is the only game you had like you would be fine to play this game for a solid like five or six months i think yeah. easy um if this was the only game you had access to i can see that i can uh, see that um overall overall i everybody that i've seen it it's been high eights high nines you know i mean it's shown up in top 10 lists for years now literally for years people are still playing this game it's still flying off the shelves at your local game stores um amazon is still filling orders for it, it i mean it is a quality game um I just, I mean, feel like just overall, it's a high eight, maybe a nine as just an overall score for this game. Like, 
I think it's definitely close to that level. Um, so I think something like that might hinder maybe like brand new players. Sure. But yeah. definitely somebody who's like dipped their toe into Ticket to Ride or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Like if you have played any of like a modern board game, then I, I have no doubt that you could pick this up and run with it. So I, I think I would definitely give it a nine for an overall. Okay. Um, like I said, there is a reason why this game has won the awards it has, why it has gotten the hype that it has. Um, I, that's the thing about board games. There are games that come in and they're described as flash in the pans. Yes. Just because they come in with a lot of hype, either from a big publisher, designer, something like that, or doing something that has never been done before, which really the theme in this one is what set it apart. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I really think that it has the backbone to really back that theme up. The gameplay and stuff is just so clean and smooth. Uh, yeah, de- definitely worth all the praise that it has gotten. Absolutely. So, hey, go out there, find your copy of Wingspan. Uh, don't be like us. Well, if you're hearing this, you're already like us, and we're just all the ghosts of board games past. And uh, <laughs> go find it, pick it up, and see for yourself. It's a great game. Great introduction, great family game night. Um, you know, let us know how your flight goes. And last but not least, our Kickstarter roundup. So we've got three projects that we pulled uh, today. Uh, one is a dm tool to help you track combat the other is a really kind of new and exciting board game and the last is a project that we want to talk about because of some of the current situations going on in the world let's get started with the board game the bad karmas and the curse of the zodiac so this game looks amazing uh, so first off, it is a integration between board game and technology, which immediately can raise some red flags to a lot of people. Uh, we do currently have like app controlled games, which some of them are some of my favorite. I'm not gonna lie, Mansion of Madness Second Edition knocks it out of the park. Lord of the Rings Adventures in Middle Lord. Earth is awesome. Uh, Chronicles of Crime is, again, one of my favorites. All those are app-driven games. Uh, the new Descent game is getting some really rave reviews. So all of these things, we know that technology and board games are becoming a pretty happy marriage. But I've never seen one with this type of technology yet. I think this is something that is in a brand new direction. Right. A lot of people, uh, yeah, I mean, they really are. They're calling it a first of its kind. Highly dynamic, immersive, uh, four-player co-op boss battles. Uh, it just it looks amazing. Uh, the game essentially takes the Zodiac and resurrects them as like giant monsters. Right. Right. And it is your job as one of the four colorful heroes to kind of work as a team and kind of defeat them as you go. So the four heroes that you have to choose from is Kitty Snipes, the sharpshooter. She's a young esports pro player and successful streamer. You've got Alex, who is the employee. He works in a cubicle in a huge company where his true skills aren't needed. Um, apparently, his true skills are being the defender. You have Claire, who is 
uh, founder of one of the most successful startups in the last 20 years. She is also the assassin. And Fernando. Uh, he was a famous luchador in his country. Now he lives off what remains of his fame and glory. And he is the demolisher. The bosses, which are you know, from the Zodiac, right? So Cancer, Aries, Pisces. I don't know. Find a millennial girl. She'll tell you what all of them are. <laughs> but what really sets this game apart is the actual gameplay on it. Right. Um, aside from having really cool looking miniatures, uh, which we are always a fan of here, uh, this uses an entirely new gameplay system, uh, which is the Teberu, I believe is what its actual name is called. Right. Uh, it is a play mat that goes underneath the boards, uh, which tracks the movement of both the boss piece as well as the player pieces. So it is connected to an app, uh, which you can have uh, like one screen running the app, as well as the players themselves can have the app on their phones to control what moves and actions their actual player pieces are taking. Now, you still move the piece around on the board and the board tracks where that piece is. Uh, one of the, the awesome things that they talk about this system doing is the AI of the um, bosses actually reflects and interacts with the way that you move your character and the actions that you do. So it is constantly changing its um, like actions it's going to take or its really plan of attack type of thing, depending on what the players do, which I think that is awesome. Right. Like, I mean, for the first time in a board game, you're going to see that kind of dynamic play that it's going to immediately affect you, right? Yeah. Like the boss knows where you're moving. It knows where its weak side is. And, you know, it could react to that. Now, we've seen this kind of thing before in video games for sure, right? Yeah. I mean, you think about one of the new hotness, Elden Ring, which is, you know, kind of a, a predecessor to the Dark Souls series where you have these big boss battles where they react and... Um, do different things based on like the player movement like this is the first time we get to see anything like this in a board game right um and which is really cool i i like that we are moving in this direction of embracing technology um i of course your traditional board game will always be there and it'll always be like designers making these but i think it's really neat to have something like this coming out onto the market yeah yeah um, and it's really, I mean, you've got the board, like you said, that tracks your movements. You also have smart dice that you roll that the dice actually tells the, the system uh, what it rolled and stuff. So that way you can actually play this remotely if you've got it yep. on your phone. Um, it's a really cool concept. And on top of it, the system that we talked about, was it the Tabaru system? Yep. Is going to be something that they're going to build on. Uh, apparently this has been in, uh, been in the works since like 2017. And there are some upcoming games that they're going to try to build, which have nothing to do with something like an expansion or saying they're going to be different games using that same system. Uh, and they are down in the Kickstarter. I'll take a look at those in a second. Uh, so let's talk about what this thing costs. Right. So um, obviously something with this kind of tech is not cheap. <laughs> um, but as we've discussed recently with Kickstarters, <laughs> Sometimes even your board game Kickstarters are not cheap. Uh, looking so base pledge for this game, 
um, is about 187 US dollars. Now, uh, this comes with obviously the whole gaming system that you need, all the interactive technology pieces, as well as volume one of the um, the Zodiac monsters. Right. Uh, which, if I remember, that is Ares, Taurus, Gemini, and Cancer. Um, and each of the monsters appear to have their own like type of different board and terrain, which is really cool. Um, but it comes with, um, basically everything you need to play against these four creatures. Yes. Uh, which is not a bad start. Um, the big thing I think that is really neat about this is once you have the, the technology piece, the Tebaru system, you don't need to buy that again. All you have to do is buy the pieces that come with it. Um, so that's really cool. Uh, that's the, really the expensive part of it. Uh, so that's your base pledge. Now, the big pledge for this one, which is the next level up, is $319. Um, it comes with all 12 of the Zodiac sign monsters, as well as everything else that comes in the, um, in the base pledge, which means your, all your technology pieces, um, all the four main characters that you play as, all of that stuff is included. Um, you do get uh, with that. You do get a complete dice set that comes with it in the bigger pledge, uh, as well as a thirteenth zodiac. Which I don't know who that is, but hey, cool. <laughs> yeah, we haven't. I don't think we've unlocked him yet. I was looking at that. Um, but yeah, so that is uh, that is this. I, this is definitely one to take a look at and check out. Um, for no other reason than just to. I, I mean, just to see the technology behind right. it. Yeah. Um, so this is one I, I definitely want to go take a look at a couple of reviews at because uh, they have sent out working prototypes to a few different reviewers. Um, so I know there's probably a few of them out there. So I want to kind of take a look at those. We need to get on that list. Hey, we give good reviews. <laughs> yeah. Look at our Wingspan review. <laughs> um, <laughs> but this is definitely one of those to take a look at. And hey, if you got the cash to spend, uh, this is one definitely to consider. Um, you were talking about the future projects. I know one of them is Vampire the Masquerade. Right. I'm looking at that right now. And uh, the uh, brand manager for World of Darkness puts a comment on there where they're really excited to be able to do their that narrative adventure storytelling that they're known for into a board game. So this is something big for them because I know they have a couple of board games already out there. Yeah. Um, the other one that they've got up is also Sword and Sorcery. Um which is an older video game and they're going to convert it over uh, to a board game with this system. So that's pretty exciting. Um, yeah. Go take a look at this. Like if nothing else, just this could be a new thing in gaming right here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this one is about halfway funded. So it's still got, uh, it's still got 29 days to go though. So the project really just started. Um, but this is one definitely to take a look at, keep an eye on um, and Hey, go back it. If it's, if it's up your alley. Absolutely. They're saying delivery. They're looking April 2023. The Combat Compendium, a Dungeon Master's Tool. Um, I found this one. We've we've talked about some other like tools before. Uh, this is a tool designed to help you track combat. Um, it's customizable, a handcrafted box. It looks like it's a leather-bound book, um, but when you open it up, all the components are in there um, to help you track everything from... Um, initiative 
It has uh, some stands for like minis to go on. Uh, so you can keep track of who is who when you're looking at the board. Um, it has some uh, hit point counters, uh, like the two like the like the two wheeled counters that you can uh, keep track of monster hit points. It comes with a PDF with a variety of monsters already in it that you can throw against your party, and you've got all their information right there and ready to go. Um, this one really looks like it's well done. Uh, I think this is another one out of Europe. Um, yeah, and the company that's doing it is the Speechless Bard. Right. This one does look really cool. I like one of my favorite parts about it is actually um, they have status effect markers uh, that you can put not only on the bases. They got little flags that kind of fit on the bases, but there's also ones that fit underneath the initiative trackers. So almost everything is magnetized with this, which is really cool um, because it, it makes it easy to kind of um, stick all the different pieces where they need to go. Um, as well as little kickstands for the board. Uh, I watching the video that was pretty cool. Um, a little neat idea to put on there. Yeah, yeah, because it it looks like a book and it opens to reveal the box. And that top cover, it's got two little like stands that ma that are magnetic that stick on the back of it. So you've got like a faceplate like you're working with. Um, really, I, I love the um the amount of customization you can do on it. Um, you can change the color of the, uh, the base colors that they have to choose from are a red, a gray, and a brown for like the cover of the book. The, uh, pages can be either clean where they look white on the outside or stained or gilded where they've kind of got that gold color to them, uh, which reminds me of all the old Bibles that we used to have at the house. Um, that kind of <laughs> thing. So you can kind of get it where you want the pieces that they have, um, for your minis to sit down. Uh, are really well designed. Uh, they've got like a little, like an edge um, that are like countered, like like the two edges across are higher than the two edges, um, uh, than the other two edges. So it kind of makes an X, but you push down on it, it makes them really easy to pick up. Um, yeah. Just really well thought out design. Yeah, there's a lot about this that I like. Um, a lot of pretty like straightforward stuff um, as well. Just like little touches like that, that are very nice. Um, very nice to have when you're trying to keep up with initiative. Anybody who's ever run a and d combat or really any RPG combat, like, <laughs> you know, trying to keep track of um, your four to six players plus your however many monsters you have out there uh, definitely can be taxing at times. Right. So the way that this one is set up is it is run in tier or waves. Um, and they've got a couple that are already gone, obviously, and I think they have, uh, let me look, let me look, let me look, let me look, one, two, three, three waves left that you can pledge to. Right, so the first available wave right now is uh, planned for shipping in September um, of 2022, which is pretty quickly. I mean, the first wave was in May, so they've worked out about 40 per month. Um so the initial pledge is $105 for this. Now you can expand and upgrade. They have a bunch of different options that you can do. Everything from like the color covers to the different actual base pieces to different colors of those. Um, you can do special engraving on the outside. Um, all kinds of different stuff. Um, but that can all be added onto it. But 105 is you're going to be your base pledge. Right. You've also got the add-ons. Um, you can actually expand it to a larger box if you like and that's an extra so it's probably about an extra 40 bucks about an extra 40 bucks yeah 
Um, and then you can um, add on, change the covers, add extra hit point uh, trackers, um, you know, extra engraving or change the cover or whatnot. So a lot of really good options that you can buy. Um, but even just the base set, I mean, this thing is uh, like, this is a fantastic idea for anybody that's running combat in person. Um, and then the other pledges are just different delivery dates. Yeah. So they have October and then November as well, but still the same pricing. Yeah. So, so go check that out. Um, if you are a DM and uh, are running combat, uh, this could be a useful tool. Or if you have a DM that runs combat, maybe this is a great uh, birthday present. We love our DM gift. You know, there's lots of options. All right. So let's talk about this last one. Um, and this one is Catapult Feud, the Ukraine edition. So with everything that's going on, uh, I think all of us have seen the news at this point. Uh, everybody's trying to do what they can. And uh, this was a project that there is a company in Ukraine uh, that is a game store. Yes. So they have partnered with uh, Vesuvius Games, who is the original developer producer of Catapult Feud. Um, which we I don't, we didn't talk about it I think but we had we had looked at it on Kickstarter they just had their most recent expansion for this game um, this is to produce and make a uh, Ukrainian edition of the game uh, now what this is though is a way to uh, basically donate to help a game store that is located in the Ukraine um, rebuild and get their lives back on track. Right. I mean, what's going on over there right now is probably far from being over, but um, the people in Ukraine have, you know, definitely never signed up for this and have had their lives turned upside down. Um, this is one way, you know, from the gaming community, from a game store out there that they found that they think they can do something to help. So, um, and if that's not your thing or you think there's better ways to donate, um, you know, go do that. I encourage you, go do that. If this isn't your thing, or if you think this isn't exactly the way you want to send money, don't be like Adam. Everybody thinks Adam's a dick in the comments, and his <laughs> comments got deleted for it because uh, he backed out, which is fine. We don't need Adam, right? So, um, but if this is something that you're interested in, uh, let's go take a look at it. Um, so the game itself, like I said, it's been out for a while. Um, this is just making a version that is... Uh, it's centered on, you know, Ukraine. Um, what do the pledges look like? So initially, the you can pledge $5 just for support. Um, you'll be added into the pledge manager if you do want to actually back for a reward. Um, then the base pledge uh, for to actually get items is $35. That's just the standard edition of the Catapult Feud um, in the Ukraine edition. Now, the one thing I will say about this, uh, they are opening up the possibility where if you want to back a copy of the game and then have it given to a, a child in the Ukraine, like you can do that instead right. of having them ship it to you, which, um, depending on who you are and whether or not you can read that language, um, you might not be able to read the instructions. I mean, it is a game that's pretty straightforward though. So, you know, to each their own. But um, I think that's a really cool idea. Um, you're not only helping out a local game store, you're also going to bring a little bit of enjoyment um, really to people who need it. Right. 
Right, and it's a simple game too, like you said. Um, uh, I mean, I can, I can't imagine what it's like to completely have your life turned upside down like this. Um, so this is where you know, uh, this is where some people felt they could do the most good. Right. Um, what is crazy about this is that um, their estimated delivery on these games is in April, because uh, they've already been working with Vesuvius Media to make and publish the um, Ukrainian version of this game. So basically they had everything set up, ready to go uh, where they could start just selling the game. Um, but then of course everything happened with, with this mess. Right. So um, yeah. So again, really uh, from a gaming perspective and from the gaming community perspective, I feel like this is a great way for us to, specifically help someone Um, i feel like a lot of times when you are giving to like charity organizations you don't really know where your money ends up right um which uh, for some people they may be fine with that um personally i like the charities where you see like what you can do like world builders is one of my favorite yeah where you can actually like buy a goat for somebody or you know things like that where you know how your money is really going um this kind of same thing here like, you know, you're supporting a local game store there. And I mean, we we harp always on wanting to go to your friendly local game stores. So, right. You know, yeah. there's one in Kiev that could use some help. And yeah, understandably so. Um, we'd definitely be willing to stand with those guys um, and back this. So if you're interested, jump on your Kickstarter. It's real easy to find. Catapult Feud Ukraine Edition. Hey, and with that, we can tally points. I've played the Chihuahuan Raven, the Common Raven, Franklin's Gull, and the Kill Deer, the Power Four of Wingspan. So I've got a lot of counting to do. But thanks for listening and thanks for joining us. For the Dapper Meeple, I'm Josh. And I'm Jim. Good night, everyone. Thanks, everyone, for sticking around and listening to our show. If you enjoyed it, let me ask you a favor. Follow us and leave us a like wherever you get your podcast. It really helps us out. And if you have anything to say back to us, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for The Dapper Meeple. On Twitter, our handle is at The Dapper Meeple, or email us at dappermeeplegaming at gmail.com. And as always, we'll save you a seat at the table. <laughs>